My guest today is the multi-instrumentalist jazz musician Robert Stillman, who started his career in Portland, Maine, but is now based in the UK. Outside of his solo work, you might have heard him play saxophone with Tom York, Johnny Greenwood and Tom Skinner's project, The Smile. I was surprised to learn that you are actually based here in the UK. Oh, yeah. And after hearing an interview with you when you were talking about living in America, Mm. you were talking about how there was like this amazing jazz club there and sort of record stores and all these things that really Mm. suited the lifestyle of a musician, especially one in jazz. Mm. And I kind of wanted to hear what it was that made you uh, up roots and come over to here because you're based in Kent now, which yeah. isn't exactly a hub for jazz as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that made me um, come to the UK is my wife. Um, we met in the States and then I moved here to be with her. So it had nothing to do with, with music. <laughs> it was purely a life thing. I- yeah. But um, how do you think it affected your um, music career, a big move like that? Well, hmm. I guess um, it, it probably, so in the, in the first few years I lived here, I was working, <clears throat> I, I, didn't, I didn't make too many friends or kind of, I didn't make too many connections with people to play with. And I was sort of in a, in a place in my life anyway where I, I wanted to be making music I wanted to I wanted to learn how to make music on my own and and so I think it it forced me to to get even more imaginative and curious about what that might look like um, and I learned I just learned a ton about different I just gained different skills that that I all, all of which I'm using now that that were that I might that I might not have had to learn if if I was in a community of people where I was able to just play all the time so it was really hard and I was definitely lonely and I I wanted to be playing with people but at the same time I think in retrospect I appreciate the opportunity it gave me to to sort of um, dive into um, solo music making which now is huge for me it's a big part of, of what I do and um, so I'd say that's that's one thing and then eventually I I kind of met up with people in London who I had met before but lost touch with who are now kind of like the main guys I, I make music with and I feel really grateful for that you know because I could have gone anywhere in the world but it, it just so happened that um that I was back here, and I, and and it was it was sort of um, good luck on my on my part. I'm grateful for that stroke of luck. Yeah. Did you find that the London jazz scene was an easy thing to slot in with, or was that a bit of an adjustment from working over in the states? Well, I'm not. I I don't. I'm not probably the right person to ask about that. I don't really feel like I understand. I don't know if there's such a thing as a London jazz scene. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's a lot of great musicians who are, many of whom play with each other and are friends with each other. But I don't feel like I'm necessarily a, a part of a scene per se. I, I, so I don't know. I mean, I, I have, I, I play music with like a handful of folks who, who are London based and, and, uh, and, and I kind of just play with them. I, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I don't mix too widely on that scene, probably just because I've never lived there. I've never lived in London. So, so I, um, so I sort of play with the same kind of 
half a dozen people and I, I really value those relationships and and I, and I learn a lot when I go there and listen to, to bands and and um, but I don't feel like I'm part of a scene per se. I know there's a lot written about London jazz right now and I'm not really sure how I fit in. I don't think I particularly fit into that. <laughs> don't know maybe but do you, do you think that there is a scene there or do you just? Or are you thinking that it's something that the press have uh, sort of made up? I guess it depends on what, what you define, how you define a scene. I mean, I've always thought of a scene as as sort of a close-knit community of musicians who support each other and who, and who collaborate with each other. And I think that exists in London, but as far as I can tell, uh, you know, they're, they're smaller scenes than what... Than, you know, they're, they're smaller groups of people who, who, and they're, it's, they seem to be loosely ge- geographically based. You know, I'm aware that there's, there's a real community of, of South London musicians who, are, who I love what they're doing. And then there's sort of a Dalston kind of thing going on. And I, I you know, I, I, I have, I'm really, uh, I think what's happening in the press is is focusing maybe on one particular part of that thing, and and um, I think there's a lot more going on maybe than what's represented by what people think of as London jazz right now. So, hmm. but I th- I don't know. I, I'm I think these things are complicated, aren't they? I think the press like to oversimplify maybe, and I think it's benefited people overall. Um, but I think a scene, the way I define it, is more about relationships and people working with each other and supporting each other to give music a platform. And I'm not sure the I'm not sure the press um, story necessarily captures that in full. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. Again, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm kind of out here, you know, I'm kind of like a lone wolf scene wise, I think. At at least that's my perception, you know. So I don't think people place me in any particular way. But, you know, I'm probably the, I probably know less than anyone about that. So, so. okay. (laughs) Well, it's interesting you talk about the relationship thing. Because when I first got into um, like the classic jazz records, I remember reading liner notes and being surprised by how on like a Miles Davis record you'd have Wayne Shorter and John McLaughlin and all these people and then you know when Wayne Shorter would do an album they'd be on his album as well and it all seems to be like that whole sort of band leader setup that only really exists in jazz as far as I'm aware like you don't have that with rock you don't or sort of you know it feels like a really jazz world thing mm, and mm. i was sort of wondering if that was you know how do you when you do something like the bog bodies album that you did with sean carpio and anders holst mm, mm. is that like uh when you step away from your solo work mm. are you like a sort of are you approached as like a hired hand or are you like a collaborator or what's the sort of structure and when you're writing music with those guys so with those guys it's a very special situation because um they're i i Sean hired me um, for a gig that he had just based upon a mutual friend we have in, in New York. And that was the first time I met Sean. And as soon as I, and, and Anders happened to be on that gig. And as soon as I played with those guys who I had never met before, as soon as I played with them, there was just something really intuitive in me that knew that those were people that I 
just connected with. I, it's hard to describe, you know, but but I just I just felt immediately so familiar, like like this very um, yeah, like like gut level um, appreciation for what they were, what their music was about. And and at that point, I didn't know anything about what Anders' music was, but I just his playing and his whole his whole aura, his whole vibe, you know, just it's it just connected with me immediately the same way it did with Sean. They felt like people I had almost known like in a past life, you know. So so I had the vision for us being a band like before we'd probably played more than like fifteen minutes together. I just knew it was a thing, you know. And, and I I don't and I. I'm I don't I'm usually not somebody who has hunches like strong hunches like that but that was that was a case where I did you know and they felt the same way and every time we get together to play it's like it feels like this ancient sort of um it feels like we're drawing upon something that's just right in 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 a cosmic kind of way um so that that's a very special case and and um and those guys are both themselves sort of lone wolf characters. They're not I mean, Anders is an important part of the kind of Copenhagen community of improvisers and 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 Sean the same in Dublin, but I think we're we all have a similar sensibility about being sort of um individual uh in, in our approach to how we make music. Like we like we, we all three of us like working alone and so it's a special thing that we play together. I, I wish we could play together more, but just the nature of being in d- three different countries, it's just this special thing when it happens, you know? Yeah. 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 Do you find when you're in the room that it is, you know, talk about this sort of deeper connection you have as musicians, when you're writing and agreeing on how, a, you know, the path a song will take, do you find that you agree on things or do you ever butt heads about um, the way things are going? Um, I wouldn't call it butting heads. Um, I think sometimes, you know, probably somebody has an insight um, that, you know, I might not have, for example, if I was to bring in something to play and somebody hears it a different way or maybe we hit a wall with something. But with those guys, it's just like I have a 100% trust in their perspective. So if they say something about, you know, maybe a piece of music I bring in that isn't along the lines of what I originally thought, my first reaction is going to be like, well, they know something about this that I don't know. Because they really, it's just a very special, um, yeah, just, just because I, I feel like their musical brain and their, um, their kind of connection to things is, I trust, I just trust it on a level where I, w- I can't imagine arguing with, their, with them. Maybe it'll happen someday. <laughs> It hasn't yeah. happened yet. I think we think along the same lines, and and when we don't see something the same way, it's sort of like, oh, well, that's like you're showing me something that I I, I just I I couldn't see it yet, but I'm glad I, I see it now. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's yeah, it's yeah, kind of like that, I guess. If we go back to your solo work, your album came out last year. What does it mean to be an American? Mm, mm. Um, I thought it was an interesting title because I've noticed when American people are interviewed on the news and stuff like that, they quite often start um, start their response to the question by saying, as an American. <laughs> and yeah. that's like a uniquely American thing. I'd mm-hmm. never started mm-hmm. 
a sentence with as an Englishman oh, yeah? or something like that. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I can't imagine why I would. But I was just wondering, that sort of made me, when I read the title of your album, that mm. made me think mm. maybe that was something you were commenting on or something. But could you mm. tell me, as an album with only one song with lyrics on, what, does it, what was it that made you choose a title like that for an instrumental album? Mm. I guess the reason I, I sort of set that as a brief for myself because... Um, I wanted to I wanted an answer to the question for myself, you know. So like um yeah, I use I use things like that as ways of holding myself accountable for how I want to be or things I want to know. You know what I mean? Like cuz cuz music for me is like uh like my my number one sort of thing with music is like I'm on a sort of learning process here and uh so when I when I'm making music, I, I I set myself briefs to be able to work towards things that I wanna that I wanna achieve or or that I wanna make progress with, and and you know, for everybody, but maybe for Americans in particular, like that period, kind of leading up to COVID. So talking about Trump and it it was the culmination of an era maybe where. It was a confusing time to to have to be American, you know, and and I um, it's doubly confusing for me because I don't live there. So, but I'm still, but it doesn't change the fact that that's what I am. So I guess I wanted to um, I wanted to give myself the opportunity to to have to think through what uh, like what my feelings were about identifying as American and. And, um, you know, despite the fact that a lot of aspects of it were uncomfortable to me and I was just using music, like a lot of stuff on that record is not only about American, American identity, but it's like about identity, just period. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. like uh, there's something I'm interested in, like, you know, the different, the different, uh, masks that we wear, you know, not as a negative thing, but like when we, when we have a an identity or a persona, you know, which is like kind of the Jungian approach, like, you know, persona is not a bad thing. It's just like, it's the thing that we put on that helps us um, go out into the world and have an idea about ourselves. But, but that persona is really fluid and, and we make decisions about what, what those, what those masks are and when we want to wear them. And, you know, it's not who we are, but, but on some level, it's who we present and we tell ourselves stories about our relationships to those masks. So I guess American is one of those things for me. And and this was just my opportunity to, to think my way through it and use the music to kind of, I guess, as an expression of the thought process, if that if that makes sense. Do you feel that the... Uh... The music is written from the perspective of a sort of American character version of yourself. Well, there's no such thing. Like when I call myself American, that's that's a character. Like it's not a fictional character; it's me, you know. But okay. but it's only fictional in the sense that the me, like the capital M me, is nothing that I could name. Like I'm a musician. I'm American. I'm white. Like. You know, those things are all related to experiences that shape who I am. And 
and and are you can't disconnect them from who I am. But I do think that there's a me that's kind of that sits in, in inside or behind those things, and uh, and I guess that's the me that knows how to how to how to make sense of those different um, narratives. I, I feel like I'm maybe getting getting myself into a muddle here. Does this make sense? <laughs> <laughs> it does. I think I'm following. Yeah, I think I'm. Following. It's like it's like if I could. So if I can use like so the the cover of the album as as a way of trying to explain like that's me looking in the mirror, um, and it's just a simple it's a simple image. Like when you know when we look in the mirror, there's kind of two things going on. It's like we're we can either we can either see what we want to see, we can see the image that we want to see, or or we can try to look through that image and see the real us, you know? So so yeah. like we can choose, we can choose like um it's like a process, it's a process of of understanding what the relationship is between the thing that's inside and the thing and the thing that we present or the thing, you know, um because all of these experiences that make us one or the other of these personae, like we can kind of, we can lean more heavily into one or the other. So, so that must mean that they're a little bit looser than the thing that we can't choose about, you know, that is just who we are, like our, our, the, the big M me, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm sure there's a more articulate way of, of putting this, but, but the, it's like a reckoning process. It's like the the mirror, the the um, what does Goggins call it? The the self, um, you know. It's like the uh, accountability. That's it. Accountability mirror. Like you look and you have to take responsibility for what you see. And you know, I can't not be American. That's like so. I, so if that's the case, then you I have, have to accept to, it. <laughs> I, I got to accept it. It's exactly, and that's what it's about. I mean, that's it. That's one of the tunes acceptance it's like that's what it's all about you know and acceptance isn't about overlooking the the ugly parts of it. it it's about it's about dealing with them you know it's the opposite it's about like going through them so so yeah i guess that's that's where it's at really but you know it's hard to talk about <laughs> i read the little bio you've got on your website about the album mm. and i like the way that it's described as experimental in a archaic and also modern way mm. and just then talking about you mentioned acceptance and the song acceptance blues mm. i think is kind of a really interesting example because yeah. if you just put that on out of context yeah it sounds kind of like almost honky-tonk sort of piano yeah. kind of old worldy blues mm. and then as the song goes on it sort of breaks down and becomes kind of dissonant and mm. uh, a little bit hard, you know, a little bit less easy on the ear. Oh, it's yeah. just like it's really, it works really well. Mm. I think it's a really interesting tune. Mm. So um, how do you start with an experiment that sounds so, um, yeah, archaic? That sounds like something from the 1930s or something. Mm. How do you use a form like that and end up with something that sounds really modern? I guess um, there's like a technical answer to that and a more sort of, musical answer like the the musical answer is that the the way I start out with material like that is because I've got a lot of those tunes floating around in my head because or that that type of musical language 
appeals to me because of all the stuff I've listened to, you know. So it's probably some kind of amalgamation of music from the era that maybe it evokes that's that's just part of my kind of vocabulary because it's the music I've you know, I've immersed myself in a lot of old timey music and, and jazz and you know I don't know I don't know what the labels are, but it's coming from some something some uh, combination of things I've listened to. And and so, you know, then it's my decision how I process that in my own music. And and uh, for me, it often involves some sort of deconstruction process. And that's what's going on in that song. And there's lots of different ways of deconstructing material. In that case, it's using some some uh you know i guess um it was a studio process in that case um because the music's the the melody doesn't really change you know as you there's a little bit going on with introducing some 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 kind of ugly notes but a lot of the ugliness in that track is is a, a, is introduced through feedback and and that sort of thing so, but it's a deconstruction thing, you know, like I'm trying to get inside of that sound and sort of explore it, take it apart and explore what it, what it sounds like and what it means when it's in bits and pieces, you know, sonically when it's kind of been, uh, yeah, made into a more elemental kind of soup, if that, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> You perform on uh, the Smiles album, mm. Light for Attracting Attention. Mm. And if I was going to guess, I'd say that you made that connection through Tom Skinner, mm. the jazz drummer who plays on the album. That's it, yeah. Um, so yeah, how did it, what was it first like getting in the studio with those uh, those guys and how did that sort of take place? Well, yeah, through Tom. Yeah, because Tom, what he did on that record is really beautiful. Like he, he brought together, like, talk, you know, Tom is kind of like a scene unto himself because because like he's <laughs> been playing music in London for such a long time. Um, and so he's made these deep connections with like the these all these great musicians, you know, from different different kind of generations almost. Um, and and so what he did with that band is he like brought all these greats together, you know. I mean the the people in that studio for those tracks like it's just a it's just an incredible collection of, of people, you know, like Jason Yard, Byron Wallen, Theon Cross, Tom Herbert. I mean, they're just like Chelsea, Carmichael, amazing, amazing musicians. So so a lot of what was magical about that session is just getting all those people in the same room and, and making sound, you know. It was just a, it was like a miracle, you know. <laughs> yeah, and he made that happen. Tom's a great he's a great curator like that like he knows he yeah he he used the opportunity to um to make that happen so that's all i really like i uh yeah it's hard to express like how special it was to get all those personalities and sounds in the same room you know it was really great really great i'd like to ask you now robert what is your uh, what is your who's flying the plane hidden gem yeah, so Sean Carpio, the drummer um, in Bog Bodies, he made a 10-inch 
record, so a short record um, called um, A Wave in Time, I think. Um, Just a quick editor's note. Robert got in touch with me after recording to let me know that Sean Carpio's record is actually called Waves of a Present, and you'll be able to find a link to that in the description for this episode. And it's a limited sort of thing um, that came out on a, a label in Dublin um, called Ten Spot, which is kind of a boutique label that just does 10 inches. So it's a very, like, you know, very limited sort of thing. But the, the album, I love it so much. And, and uh, I love Sean's vision. I love his, um, I, I love his songs. I love, he plays all the instruments on it and I love how he plays them. And um, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful record. And it meant so much to me to be listening to it before it came out when he would, he sent me, he sent it to me um, kind of during like the, the first couple lockdowns. I was listening to it all the time. So I have a, a sort of um, attachment to it just in that time period, you know, and I, and I worry that yeah, because it's such a limited thing, not enough people are aware of it, but it's just like a kind of a masterpiece of a record, you know? So I, I would say that 10 inch, of Sean's like I would I would shout about that as much as I could you know such a great record yeah in terms of your solo work and touring and anything that you can talk about coming up what's next for Robert Stillman so I'm going back out with the smile uh tour uh back to America in um in June for for like four more weeks of touring over there kind of um, and so that's me doing my support, my solo support set um, before they play. And um going to do cities that we didn't do last time we were we were over there, um, which is great because I'm going to, yeah, I'll get to go to some cities I don't know very well. Like, um, So that'll take me into mid-summer. And then, um, and then I'm, I'm going to be back here. I'm working on a, a new record. But I've been trying to finish for a really long time, and uh, so I need to kind of plow myself into that, and and um, also working on in uh, Tom Skinner's band Voices of, of Bashara. I think we've got some stuff lined up for the autumn. So, so that's kind of like my my sort of summer autumn, and Dave Akumu maybe some more stuff with him as well. Hopefully, so yeah, I think that's everything. Some more Bog Body stuff maybe, but. Just the, the normal stuff. <laughs> it's normal. It's extraordinary, but it's okay. the stuff I've been doing recently. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for talking to me today, Robert. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you.